We're Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Hebrews 12, if you want to turn in your, in your Bibles to Hebrews 12, we're not going to get there right away, but that's essentially where we're going to camp out towards the second half of my sermon. So if you want to start making your way towards Hebrews 12, a leisurely kind of adventure through the Word, we'll get there eventually, but that's, uh, that's where we are going to land. So Father, we, we thank you for this time already. We are desperate for your presence. We are, we are hungry for your Word, Lord God, hungry for you to speak, hungry for you to minister as you already have, Lord God. We just love, Lord God, those words that have already come of the fact that you see us, Lord God, and and the fact, Jesus, that that you are fighting on our behalf. The battle belongs to you, Lord God. Thank you that that, that our faith journey is not resting on our, our imperfect faith, but it is achieved by your perfect faith, Jesus. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, as we get into the word this morning, that you would strengthen, that you would encourage, that you would impart, that you would minister, that you would release your, your presence, your grace upon us. Even now, Lord, we, we want to just open our hearts and, and kind of tune our hearts into you, not into the things that I'm necessarily saying about, but, but Lord, the things that you might be saying through me. We want to tune our, our hearts and our minds and our thoughts to you, Jesus. Come and have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I came across this outstanding quote by Mark Twain. Mark Twain has some absolute zingers, but this, I think, is my absolute favorite. He says this, when I was a boy of 12, my father was so ignorant, I could how much the old man had learned in seven years. Absolutely love that quote. And uh, <laughs> I remember when, when Bex and Hannah were, were 14, 15, kind of new into high school, I'm beginning to see a little bit in Cade, who is still a year or so off, but but the occasional glint in my girl's eyes, the occasional tone of voice, the, the, the occasional or the, the apparent, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, the apparent lack of not wanting to learn anything from me or because they, they sense that they know it all at, the, at that age, and, and the occasional defiant comment that, where they would say, Dad, I've got this. I know exactly what's going on. But we know that they didn't know what was going on, did they? And neither did you. This is not unique to my girls by any stretch. Every single one of us who were 14, 15 at some stage, when we get into high school, we think we absolutely know it all. And, uh, uh, but we realize the older we get, if, uh, I'm sure this is true for you, the older we get, the, the more we realize how little we actually know. And so now that the girls are in their 20s, what I hear from them now is not, Dad, I know I've got this, but I actually hear, Dad, you're so wise. And it makes, it makes me realize that I've probably learned a lot over the last seven years or so. Our knowledge might be finite, but God's is anything but. God is not just knowledgeable, He is all-knowing. The extent of what God knows is not just vast, it is limitlessly and immeasurably so. He knows, because he, he knows not because he has learnt all things, but because he is their origin. Learning implies change. And our God is a God who is unchanging. Learning implies adjusting to a limit. And God's knowledge knows no limits. A.W. Tozer says this about the fact that God is all-knowing. He said, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. 
all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God knows all things. But more important than what A.W. Tozer says about the fact that God knows all things, Psalm 47 tells us, great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And Isaiah 40 says this, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is omniscient. He is the God of infinite knowledge, but he's also eternal. He is the God of infinite days. I find it fascinating that two people from different generations, typically 25 to 30 years apart, can look at the same set of circumstances and react completely differently just because they have been raised up in a different generation. When Debs was 25, her and I were traveling through the east coast of America on a business trip. I was in business for many years before I was in ministry. And we were traveling through the east coast. And and on the way, uh, we stopped off in in England. Debs had seen someone with a nose ring and decided she wanted to get her nose pierced. And so in downtown Boston, uh, uh, Debs uh, found somebody who was full of tattoos and full of nose piercings and found out a place where she could get her nose pierced. And for her, it was a statement of fun and freedom. But her father, who was around in the rebellious days of the 70s, he saw that same act, which Deb saw as fun and freedom, he saw as a statement of defiance. He saw it as an act of, 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 of angst and turmoil. That he was actually concerned there was something wrong with Deb's. We might be shaped by our generation, and we might be kind of formed by the era in which we live, but God certainly isn't. God is unlimited by time, so much so that he determines its beginning from its end. He's never early catch up to a schedule that has gotten away from him. He knows all things across all time and all all at the same time, past, present, and future. Revelation 1 says, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Moses, in the only psalm that he writes in Psalm 90, he says, Lord, you have always been our eternal home, our hiding place from generation to generation. Long before you gave birth to the earth and before the mountains were born, you have been from everlasting to everlasting, the one and the only true God. This is our second week in our current series through the rest of the summer called Testify. And in this series, we are trusting to to see the character and the nature of God revealed uh, uh, through teaching, but also through personal stories that a number of us have been through in this particular church. And last week, we we spent time looking at at two mistakes that we typically make. The first mistake is is how we try in our our own effort to, to limit the God who is unlimited within the boundaries of our limited understanding. And the second mistake that we make is our our inability or lack of desire to identify and celebrate the limits that our unlimited God actually places on us. And we learned that when we learn to to, to trust God, when we learn to worship the God who is without limits, that's when we begin to count as God counts and measure 
as God measures. Measure ourselves, measure our, our successes, measure our circumstances. And when we measure like God measures, we can say like David did in Psalm 16, the boundary lines, God's limits, God's boundary lines have surely fallen for me in pleasant places. Last week, we learned about the fact that God is the God of no limits. Today, we're going to learn about the fact that God is, our God is the God of infinite knowledge. By kind of asking perhaps a question you might be thinking is, why have I grouped God's omniscience with the fact that God is eternal together? And the reason I've done that is because I would suggest that, that knowledge and time are two things that we are perhaps desperate to control most. Knowledge and time are, are two things that we are desperate to control most. I would say that we, we struggle at times with the limits of our understanding and, and the reality of being bound by time. And I think it's partly because of the, the constant questions that people, that culture, that society, and eventually us, we ourselves begin to ask. Questions that are defined by words like when, and how. When speaks to, to time, how speaks to knowledge. When will you complete the assignment that I've given you to do or finish the project that has been assigned to you? How are you going to raise your grades? Or how are you going to land the job or get the promotion that's on offer? How will you meet the sales targets or, or, or be able to close on the deal that you are, are actually competing for? When will you have paid off all your debt? Or when will you be able to eventually balance your budget. And I've intentionally avoided some of those really personal, some of those really hurtful questions that people and culture ask of us, when and how type questions that in their minds defines success. I think because we are constantly asked questions, when and how type questions by others, we eventually begin to ask when and how type questions of ourselves. When will I eventually earn enough? When will I eventually know enough? When will I eventually have done enough in order to be accepted and to fit in? Or how can I overcome my lack of, and you can insert any resource that you don't have or any accomplishment that you haven't earned. When will I, or, or how can I overcome my lack of resource or achievement in order to be accepted and used by God? And a question that I struggle with so often, and I think our culture struggles with so often, is the ultimate question, the ultimate, uh, and when we go after that, let me tell you, the only possible outcome is fear. Fear that we will never attain enough, whatever enough is, and if we somehow do attain it, fear that we can't sustain it. I think these constant when and how type questions that we are bombarded with by culture and ourselves eventually begin to bleed into our relationship with God. And we start to ask questions like, when will God come good on His word? Or how can God ever redeem or rescue this particular situation that I'm in? Or even a little bit more, perhaps a bit more personal, how could God ever use someone like me? And I think there are endless variations of when and how type questions that, that impact and, and dilute the intimacy that we want, that God wants to have with us. The writer in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3 says that God has assigned a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And then the writer goes on to, to list a variety of activities that, that we will typically uh, find ourselves doing. He goes on to say, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down 
and a time to build up. And, and, and the writer continues for, for seven verses listing these various activities that you and I are involved in. I, I don't think it's a stretch at all. I don't think we have any trouble agreeing that God has, or that, that there is an assigned time or an assigned kind of schedule, as it were, or an assigned time for everything. But I think the challenge is that every single one of us have very strong opinions as to when those things should be outworked. The time to die is surely at the end of a full and fruitful life, not a moment before. The time to heal is any time anyone is sick. The time to be silent is after I have spoken my mind and had my say. For peace is after we agree that things are going according to my plan. I think you'd have to agree that our hope, and I think it's actually more than our hope, it's actually our expectation is that God would make everything beautiful in our time, not in His. We want to control when. We want to control when things are going to happen. We want outcomes that are according to our time, and we want outcomes that are according to our understanding. David writes in Psalm 46 verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. The New American Standard Version says this. He says, uh, it says, cease striving and know that I am God. The original language speaks about the, these words, relax, stop, or enough. The Passion Translation translates verse uh, uh, 10 of, of chapter 46. Surrender your anxiety, be silent, and stop your striving and know that I am God. I say all of that to say this, in our desperation to know how God will work, there is a striving after understanding. There is a striving after control. There is a striving after the need to, to know, the need to get our hands on the matter and to control things according to our knowledge and according to our understanding. And to that, I wanna say, God says, be still. God says, stop that. God says, cease that. God says, lay down your anxiety, surrender your anxiety, and be still and know that I am always with you. Irrespective of what you're going through, irrespective of what the devil is throwing at you, irrespective of what people might be saying about you, God says, my word is the final word. Be still and know. The one thing we have to know above all things is that God is God. Be still and know that I am God. We don't know everything, and we can't control what happens tomorrow and when God is going to come through. But God, the, the, the God that we worship, the God who declares things that are not as though they were, the God of the impossible, as Matt shared a little bit earlier, the God who, whose word does not come back to him void without having achieved the purpose for which he sent it, God does not have limits on his knowledge. And God does not have limits, on, on, and he's not bounded by time. God alone knows when. And God alone knows how, which frees us up from having to answer those questions. And it enables us to then be able to focus on what we should be focused on. Not how and when, but who. As in, who is the one that is speaking these promises? And what, as in, what is God declaring over my life? What is God saying into the particular context that I am struggling with? Did Abraham have any say when Isaac would be born? 
or when the descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky would be born? No. But you see, Abraham is remembered forever as the one who believes, who, who, the, 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 as, as one who believed the one who spoke those promises into being. Did Moses know how Israel would cross the Red Sea? No. But he reminded the Israelites what God said. He said to them, remember, God said, I will fight on your behalf and deliver you from out from underneath the hand of Pharaoh. Did David have any understanding how God could ever forgive him for having sex with Bathsheba and killing her husband in order to cover it up? No, he didn't. But he knew what God was asking. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. Did the woman with the issue of bleeding know how or when she could ever be healed? No, but she knew whose garment to reach out and to touch. And did Peter know how to walk on water? No, but he knew the one who called him. I think you would all agree, worry about today, and we had no missed opportunities. And today, no anxiety, and tomorrow, no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come and knows all that there is to know. So just like Abraham and just like Moses and just like David, we might not know how God is going to work or when God is going to fulfill his promise, but we do know who We do know the God who is of infinite days. John chapter 17 says eternal life or or life to the full means to know and to experience the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ, the son whom he sent. We know the God of infinite days and we know the God of infinite knowledge. Psalm 119 says, because Lord, you know all things, your word guides me in my choices and decisions and makes my pathway clear. I just want to step aside for a moment and just say, if anyone is here today who is not a follower of Jesus, I would put it to you that perhaps you struggle with these how and when type questions just as much as we do. Perhaps you ask questions like, how could God ever accept me? Perhaps you ask questions like, how could I ever bridge the gap between me and God? Or or when will I have done enough to impress God? As Christians, sometimes what we do is we, we, we laugh and we say every question that could be asked is actually answered by Jesus. And as, as cliched as it is for us Christians to say, let me tell you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that is infinitely true. Jesus is the how, as in how can the gap between me and God be bridged. Jesus has done enough. You never will. You will never do enough to impress God because we, we always fall short But God in his grace and in his love has sent Jesus, his only son, to live a perfect life, die on the cross, sins of the world placed on him, and he was raised from the dead, paying for the the price of the sins that you and I carry. So I want to kind of bring this into land in the the next kind of 10 minutes by essentially asking, and when? But how do we live in a way that focuses on who and what? How do we we focus our attention on, on, on Jesus? And essentially what I'm asking is a question of faith. It takes faith to not have to control how and when. It takes faith to trust in in who God is and what God says. And so I think a perfect text for us to kind of land this morning's sermon is to have a look at Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews 12 starts off, Hebrews 12 verse 1 starts off, therefore, there's a context to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 comes right after the great chapter on faith. 
The writer to the Hebrews has just taken an entire chapter to explain what faith is and then give us endless examples of what faith looks like. And then he says, he says, therefore, in the light of faith, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me just stop there and say, friends, on a faith journey, we need people around us who are also grappling with the reality of what it looks like to take God at his word. Faith journeys are not meant to be done on their own. We are meant to surround ourselves with a great cloud of witnesses, yes, from the word of God, those who've gone before us and shown us the way, but friends, men and women, leaders around us who are also learning how to follow God in obedience to his word. Let us throw off everything, uh, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Friends, the faith journey that you and I are called to run is a faith journey of perseverance. I want to exhort you, don't give up. Don't give up on the promises. Just because God hasn't revealed to you when or how, don't give up on the things that he has spoken over you. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love that. God's unique promises. Faith is, is beautifully common to every single follower of Jesus, and it is wonderfully unique to every single one of us because God's promises are unique for each of us. Let us run with perseverance. The I loved what Michaeli shared this morning. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Picture that as they came back into the city, and in the distance, they saw the city lights, and what got them through? They fixed their eyes on the city. We've got a better person, a better light to look at, and that is Jesus Christ, the only consistent reality in the faith journey that we face. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the author, the one who speaks faith into being, the one who, who, who declares the things that are not as though they were, the author of our faith but also the perfecter of our faith. The one who will take us from, from here where the promises are spoken to there where the promises are fulfilled. And again, Michaeli so wonderfully encouraged us, friends, to get from here to there is not on the back of our faith because our faith is imperfect. We get from here to there on the back of the perfect faith of Jesus. The perfect faith of Jesus. The battle belongs to the Lord. Our role, fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to share three quick exhortations, three quick things to encourage you with as, as you are on your faith journey. And because this series is called Testify, I want to share three things that, that I've learned, three things that we've learned as a family over the last 18 months through some of the most exhilarating highs and desperate lows that we've, we've been through. For those that aren't aware, uh, our, our daughter suffered a serious brain bleed, a, a, a life-threatening brain bleed 18 months ago. Uh, um, came through miraculously uh, seven or eight days in ICU. I forget the details, uh, the specific details, but seven or eight days in ICU and then uh, a week or so, 10 days in a rehab hospital with months thereafter of, of recovery, along with all of the emotional, spiritual, physical challenges that came particularly for her, but for us as a family as well. And I want to share just three things that I learned in, in our faith journey in trusting not so much in the how and the when, but in the who and the what. As in who was the one who spoke promises over us and what did God. I understand that, that, that every uh, uh, is simplistic by, by reducing faith journey to three simple steps because it's not that. It's far more nuanced. Listening to God, hearing his voice, standing firm on his promises, 
Throwing off disappointments of questions that haven't yet been answered. Learning to persevere and run the race marked out for us. The struggle at times of fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want to say, friends, it's far more nuanced than these three things. But I hope these three things will encourage each of us as we are on our faith journey with God. Firstly, I want to say, let go of the past. Let go of the past. The writer in Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders and holds us back, every wound that has pierced us, and the sin that so easily that we fall into. We cannot allow the what-ifs to plague us and to hold us back. There are what-ifs associated with sin and shame from the past. There are regrets associated with shin, sin, shin, sin and shame from the past. There's a beautiful uh, verse in John chapter 10, which is, is the, the passage where Jesus uh, calls himself the great shepherd. And he says this in John chapter 10. He says, I know my sheep. And at first glance, you might kind of look over that and not really understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying. The word know means to know through experience. Most times, almost every single time in the New Testament, the word know is, is used in relation to our knowledge of Jesus. But this time, Jesus is saying, I know my sheep. The God who is all-knowing knows the fullness and the extent of every single one of us. And it's not always good. Jesus knows our sheepness. Jesus knows the full extent of our, of our, at times when we butt up against his will and we refuse to follow his way. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus says, I know my sheep. He knows the extent of our depravity, but yet he still chooses to lay his life down for us. That's how valuable you are. He doesn't look upon you with shame. And I want to say, neither should you look upon your past with shame. That has been broken at the cross. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is able to break any cycle of sin or guilt or shame or struggle from the past. God wants to break us free from that. We need to be free from the what-ifs of, of, uh, associated with sin and shame, and we need to be free from the what-ifs associated with change. What if things were the way they used to be. If you struggled with that, perhaps, it's okay to grieve the passing of happy seasons. But I want to say, I don't think it's right to resent their loss. I struggled with this about six months into the journey, the faith journey that we were on as a family. I remember just crying out to the Lord, Lord, what if this didn't happen? Why did this have to happen? And, and, and as a family, we all were like, we, we just wish we could go back to, to January before Hannah had her brain bleed. And I felt God arrest my heart, and I, and I felt him say that we cannot always be, be wishing, what if this didn't happen? Because we were missing out on the reality of what, was, what God was doing in the moment. Yes, it was difficult. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy, but God was doing a beautiful thing in his time. The first thing I want to encourage you with is let go of the past. Secondly, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. The what-ifs of tomorrow can plague us just as much as the what-ifs of today. And, and, and to that, the, 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 you know, Hebrews 12 says that there is a race that is marked out for us. God says to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Make it plain on tablets. 
I know in those days, just allow me a little bit of poetic license, I know they didn't have pencils and paper back in those days, but essentially what, what God is saying is just run with it and is we assume that when God speaks and the fulfillment of the promise is a straight line from here to there, when actually it's not, if we can just throw up the next picture. Do we have that picture? Eloise? Yes. That's essentially what happens between here and there. And that's what trips us up. We assume God speaks, tomorrow God's going to make it come to pass. No, God will do it in His time. It's chiseled in stone. We need to learn to, to not focus on tomorrow. But the third thing that I want to say is we need to live fully in the present. We need to learn to live fully in the present. We need to, we need to forget the past. We, we mustn't worry about tomorrow. But instead, lastly, we need to live fully in the present. I love what Psalm 118 says. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. That was true yesterday, but it was true for yesterday, yesterday. And it will be true tomorrow when we get there, but we're not there yet. God's word says this is the day that the Lord has made. God's grace is all over today. God's goodness is all over today. God's anointing is all over today. You see, when we are tempted to, to, to look back in the past with regret or look ahead and try to drag into today things that we cannot control, God wants to speak over us this verse in Hebrews 12. No, instead of that, run with perseverance and fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus says it slightly differently in Matthew 8. Seek first, seek first, run after my kingdom, run after my reign, run after my presence in the presence. Friends, that is so important. Run after my presence in the presence. I remember on a Friday morning, sitting at Shirley Ryan at about 6.31 morning. Shirley Ryan was the rehab hospital where Hannah was. And I remember she had been there for a few days. We started rehab or she was still sleeping. So I was sitting there and I, I was looking back on the past and I was saying, Lord, what if, what if this hadn't happened? What, what, what if, this, if, if, if none of this had happened, where would our lives be? And if I wasn't looking back in the past, I was looking ahead and I was saying, Lord, what if, what if this happens again? What if Hannah has another bleed? What if it happens to one of our children? I was struggling with the what ifs of the past and I was struggling with the what ifs that were still to come. And I felt God say this, don't ask what if, ask what now. Don't ask what if, ask what now. As in, what, what, what now, Lord? What do you want me to do today? What is it that you want me to do today? You see, the, the, the promise of God's word is no matter the past and no matter the future, every day starts with the faithfulness of God and the mercies of God that are new every single morning. Moses writes in Psalm 90, Satisfy us in the morning. The Bible always contrasts morning and night. Morning speaks of hope. Morning speaks of new beginnings. Nighttime speaks of, of worry and anxiety. Nighttime speaks of, of moments when, when our, when our anxi anxieties are magnified. And Moses writes, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. God's love gives us a new perspective on time. God's love gives us a new perspective on time. It allows us to let go of the past. It enables us not to worry about tomorrow. 
and it empowers us to live fully in the presence. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to be finished right now. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. He says, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Essentially what he's saying is we might be getting older and older externally, but if we are filled with the love of Jesus, even though we are getting older and older externally, internally, spiritually, within our hearts, we are actually becoming, not physically, I wish it was, but internally, spiritually. You see, if we are filled with the love of Jesus, we are not associated with the cynicism and skepticism that comes with maturity. We are associated with the innocence and the trust that comes with being a child of God. See, children don't need to know everything. Children don't need to control everything, but they know how to trust the one of infinite knowledge and the one of infinite days. I would love for us just to close our eyes this, this, this morning, and I want to pray for God's present presence right here, right now, to remind us, to reveal to us the, the beauty, the reality, the, the power of what it means to be children of God. Jesus actually says in Luke chapter 18, children demonstrate to us what faith is all about. Let me say that again. Children demonstrate to us what faith is all about. Not having all the answers to how, not having all the answers to when, but knowing who. Who speaks into our hearts and lives. Knowing what what God has said. Father, I thank you that through faith in your son, Jesus, you have filled us with your everlasting, steadfast, never-ending, never-changing love. And I thank you, Father, that you are, are doing a fresh thing in our hearts. Father, I thank you that, that in your kingdom, cynicism doesn't have a place. Being cynical doesn't have a place. But Lord, I thank you that, 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 that innocence is what you want to release and bestow upon us. Trust. Not knowing. Father, I know that there are things and, 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 and facing challenging situations. Father, I pray, above all else, may you make yourself known to to them. May your word be the word that would release life and release hope. Father, help us to, to throw off what happened yesterday, to forget what happened yesterday, to not be bound to what happened yesterday. Help us, Father God, to, to not worry or be fearful about what comes tomorrow. But Lord, may we say today, this is the day that the Lord has made. Help us to, to see you in the present, Lord God, to know that your grace is sufficient for today and to know that tomorrow your grace will be just as sufficient. Thank you that you are our provider. We love you. Holy Spirit, release the grace of God upon us. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 
Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.